to the Ethical Marketing Podcast. And today's podcast is going to be a bit different. It's going to be a chat between myself and my regular podcast co-host, Andrew Lumsden, Groom and Shank Conwaywood, about their initiative, Shop Ethical Instead. We thought that this is an initiative that might be of interest to quite a lot of people that listen to this podcast. So I am going to rely on Shan to tell me a bit about this. Thanks, Stuart. So Shop Ethical Instead is essentially a positive alternative to Black Friday. And in 2017, I think that was the first year that I really became aware of Black Friday as such a big retail event in the UK. And obviously it started in the US and is typically associated with like big box retailers in the US, but has become more and more online, more and more prominent over here. And that was the first year that I really saw lots and lots of advertising and marketing and just shopping messages around Black Friday deals and mass consumption. And at the same time, running Ethical Hour, I was noticing there was a lot of boycott messaging going around from the sustainability community, because obviously all of that consumption does have an environmental impact. A lot of people were calling for a boycott. And what I felt was there's this gap in the middle. As a marketeer, I could see that the social norm at that point in the year is to go out shopping. It's typically payday just before Christmas. It's Christmas shopping time. And then we're bombarded with all of these messages about discounts and deals. It's very hard to just switch off from that and ignore that and decide to boycott it. And people do need to buy Christmas gifts and things at that time of year. So it really struck me that there was a space in the middle for turning that attention into something positive and directing that towards small businesses and more ethical and sustainable businesses, where actually some of those really negative impacts around Black Friday are mitigated because they're businesses that pay living wage, they're businesses that contribute to their local communities, and they're businesses that have more ethical and sustainable supply chains. So it began in 2017 as that positive alternative, and it's just really grown from there. And we're back for our fifth year, bigger and better than ever. So five years on then, I assume you've seen a lot of changes in how something like that would run. I mean, you had the pandemic, I suppose. Did you run it through pandemic times? So last year was an interesting one because obviously we had COP26 in November and obviously Black Friday falls in November as well. And kind of in our little echo chamber of the sustainability community, all of the attention was on COP26. You know, everybody's eyes were there wondering what was going to happen, what was going to be agreed. And we noticed that a lot of campaigners and a lot of people in our audience were feeling really burnt out by that amount of information and by trying to understand the political elements of this space. So last year, we actually turned our attention more to COP26. But in previous years, we have kind of grown and grown every year, got more and more people involved. The last time that we did it in a really big way, we reached, I think, 7.7 million people over the course of November and December. And it was picked up by press outlets like Vogue Business. So, yeah, I think this year we are restructuring it. We're doing it in a bit of a different way, which Andrew's going to talk about some of the methodology behind the campaign this year and and what's going to make that have an even bigger reach. But over the time, obviously, what we have seen is that there's just been that growth in consumption around Black Friday and the big retailers have got even bigger. Obviously, the small businesses have weathered the storm of COVID and now the cost of living kind of issues that are going on and things. It's a really hard time to be a small business owner. And I just think it's really important that we 
bring this campaign back to really showcase them, celebrate them and support them and hopefully direct people's shopping attention to them. Yeah, I always associate Black Friday with Amazon, I guess. I guess they're the ones who kind of popularized it in a big way. Actually, on associating it with Amazon, that's really interesting because Black Friday isn't supposed to be a day. It's supposed to be a non-day. Franklin Roosevelt passed a presidential proclamation back in 1939 setting Thanksgiving as the fourth Thursday in November rather than the last Thursday in November because Christmas shopping was getting earlier and earlier and earlier and the brands were all trying to extend it. But they are, he actually passed a presidential proclamation that then became a piece of legislation in the US. That means you cannot start Christmas sales and Christmas advertising before Black Friday. So it, it's all that pressure that the extra month that they wanted to have, because all of the major brands would like to start on the 1st of November. Because of the legislation, they can't start running their ads. So what they've done is design a day that has all that spending of the rest of the month in one day. And I think it's just really interesting that the idea was to actually stop consumption and instead has led to one giant day that is just full of consumption. And I think that's where the Shop Ethical Instead campaign really comes in. We're not going to ever win the battle of the the consumptionizing Black Friday, or if we do, it's going to take years, I think would be a better way of putting it. But if that consumption can be different and it can be good and it can be buy better, consume less, then actually that consumption can do a lot of good. And I've been talking to brands all week about doing their video interviews and about actually who they help, the fact they pay living wage, the fact that they pay on time, the fact that these brands actually support dozens of people each. And actually, if they could just get a little bit more attention, that dozens might become hundreds. So is there a point of this campaign to kind of highlight the businesses as a viable alternative? Or is it more about the ethical marketplace as a whole? It's really telling those stories and highlighting who is out there. Because one thing that's always struck me running Ethical Hour and really the kind of reason why it started was these brands have got brilliant stories behind them. They have done the work to make their supply chains as ethical and sustainable as possible. They've embedded giving back. They've embedded links with their charities. And that's on top of everything that Andrew is mentioning around paying living wage, creating jobs in their local communities and so on. But where they're struggling is that if you think about it in a big corporation or a big charity, marketing is completely its own function and it's the job of several people full-time and probably an agency on retainer supporting them as well. Now these small business owners are everything in their business from the accountant to the cleaner to the person stocking the shelves to the person fixing the website. You know they're they're running on a shoestring, they're supported by very few people, if anyone, some of them are completely solo and they're putting the same pressure on themselves to create that marketing function that would actually be the full-time job of several people because they have to, because that's the only way that they can compete. But realistically, they can't build their audience size and they can't get their message out there in the same way. So it's like Black Friday and in general, quarter four. And it really struck me talking to one of our Ethical Hour members who is a coffee brand. And she said 80% of her income comes in quarter four. 
And that just really struck me because you would think that coffee is something that people buy all year round and that her income maybe wouldn't necessarily be that affected by the Christmas gifting period. But actually, it's so, so crucial to their survival. But it's a time where advertising becomes more expensive and share of attention becomes even harder to get. And you're up against, you know, the likes of John Lewis spending an absolute fortune on really emotional, beautiful television advertising that then goes viral on social media and is the key talking point. It's so hard at that time of year for these small brands to get any traction. And that's something they're struggling with anyway. And it becomes even harder at this really crucial point in the year. So what we've done this year in particular, and what we've always tried to do with the campaign, but I think this year we've done it in kind of really structured ways that are going to pay off, is to create that collective audience and bring everybody together. Because actually, the type of people demographically that are buying from these ethical brands will buy from multiple ethical brands. So although they are potentially in competition with each other, they're actually a lot stronger when they collaborate. And ethical brands recognize that anyway and do a lot of this collaboration naturally. And what we're trying to do as the kind of comms agency in the middle of it is centralize production of content, centralize the audience and really combine it. And we're at a point now where we've got so many brands signed up that although the brands themselves may have 500 to 1,000 followers per platform, the combined audience is actually over a million people. So that's really, really powerful that we can push this message out and we can get that airspace and we can get that share of attention for them. Yeah, I think as well, we're seeing more and more messaging coming through from variable surveys from a lot of the big businesses saying that people are caring more and more about the ethics behind the products they buy and that given the option, they will choose ethical, often overpriced, often over ease to, to get it. So I guess it feels like it maybe is quite a good time to be sort of highlighting a lot of these this to people and it's very challenging obviously as we know ethical and sustainable products generally do come at a higher price point because people are paid living wage there's no exploitation in those supply chains sustainable materials are generally more expensive and their production is typically on shorter runs so they don't benefit from the scale but i think at this point in time there are still demographics and andrew will talk on this because he's the demographics expert but there are demographics that have got the disposable income who still spend. And actually, I think particularly at this point in time, it's about buying quality. And when you give gifts, especially, you want to give something that is good quality. We were looking at children's toys today for one of the brands involved and talking about the kind of legacy in that and that these are beautiful handcrafted wooden toys, all kind of sustainably sourced wood, natural dyes from various different spices and colorants. And made by artisans that have passed their skills down from generation to generation. And what I found really beautiful about that was that these skills have been passed down. And then by buying this product, you're helping those skills to carry on, but you're then buying a toy that is probably going to be passed on through the generations. I mean, I've still got wooden toys from when I was a child that my daughter plays with now. And it's really nice to see her play with that. And I just think if it's something plastic, once she's outgrown it, we tend to pass it on or get rid of it. But actually the wooden toys and the handcrafted things become real treasures and they have really special memories attached to them. And I think it's partly showing that message as well, that actually, if you are going to spend, spend your money in the right places and spend on high quality goods as well. I think that high quality thing is so central because I today I interviewed three different brands. So I did more than three, but three come to mind immediately where 
their price points aren't any different or not see not more than a couple of pounds where the quality is so much higher and where the outcomes I, i'm specifically thinking of two there one being behavior change cornwall who make the most amazing stuff out of fishing nets old fishing nets that are just beautiful and the other being kind to the soap brand who produce solid soap bars that really are better for your hair than anything you're going to find in a plastic packaging and both of them are doing amazing things and changing having real impact on the world but are also not significantly out of the the type of product in terms of price comparison at all they're really where they should be and i think that's becoming more and more common and i think if people knew and could close that behavior gap between wanting to do something and thinking it's not as good and i'm hoping that the shop ethical instead 2022 will be the campaign one of the campaigns that really starts to close that behavior gap as a behavioral economist i think if we can close that we can change the way people buy and i think that's about showing people quality of product and show them that actually you can do both simultaneously whilst also supporting people on real wages earning often not huge amounts but more than they'd make per hour in Starbucks and really, really showing people that these little, small micro businesses and medium-sized businesses are fundamentally doing good both in their local economy, because let's not forget that if you spend a pound, I can't remember what the exact figure is, but if you spend a pound in your local economy, 80, something like 80% stays in your local economy. If you spend a pound in with a multinational, it's something like 17% stays in the local economy. So you're actually in, impacting your community just by shopping at these places. And that's before you've looked at what they're doing that's good in the world. And before you've looked at what they're undoing to make better, or before you've looked at the fact that they're employers, small employers that are seeing their bills rise and their costs rise and desperately trying to keep just enough margin to pay their staff while making their product reasonably priced. I mean, in a, in a cost of living crisis like we're in, these businesses are the backbone of Britain, and they're the backbone of our economy. They are the difference between your high street having good independent shops on it that leads to more wealth in your area, or homogenized high streets where the money disappears into tax havens because actually, yes, I love a Starbucks, I'm sorry, but I do, oh, especially the Christmas ones, if I'm honest. I can take or leave it the rest of the year, but the eggnog ones. Um, but I drink Blue Goose Coffee, who are an Ethical Hour um, client, and um, they're a member of Ethical Hour, and their coffee is fantastic. And I walk into a Starbucks now and I go, this coffee is terrible. I can make better at home. And that's not because I can make it better. I press a sodding button. It's because the coffee is better. It's also really, really good for the world and good for the good for all of the charitable causes it it supports, but it's also just tastes fundamentally better. From a marketing perspective as well, I think for me that's one of the interesting things about creating this campaign because these small business owners have the majority of them have spent years searching every element of their business to make it as good as possible for people and planet. You know, they've been out to the countries where they're garments are created if they're fat you know and where the cotton is grown for the fashion brands and 
where the coffee is sourced from and you know they've really connected with the people in their supply chains and got to know them and feel really really close to them and they've researched all the different processes so for example with blue goose coffee lex one of the founders is so knowledgeable about the process involved in making decaf coffee and actually the horrible chemicals that go into that and they've got this swiss water process that avoids all of that and he can just tell you so many fascinating facts and insights into that but the problem is that they then because that's the bit that they're really passionate about and that's the bit that they've spent their time on that's the story that they tend to take to the world because a lot of these small business owners don't come from a marketing background or a communications background and because they are so bought into the ethics and the sustainability of their brand and rightly so because of the time they've invested into it they then want to tell that story. But as we as communications professionals know that sometimes that is not the story to lead with. We know that that's not the number one reason why people are buying these products. And we know that it needs to be about the quality of the product, the experience of using or gifting that product. And actually the marketing messages they should be leading with are not necessarily the story that they want to tell. And because we're centralizing that content production and we're taking an editorial approach. So we're creating content about these brands and we are telling their story and we're empowering them to tell their story. My hope is that that will show them a different lens on their brand and it will show them the things that we think are really special about their brand and that their customers think are really special. And hopefully the longer legacy behind this campaign will be that it will upskill everybody slightly in understanding how to tell their story in a way that actually turns into sales. And ultimately will help these brands kind of survive and thrive through this cost of living crisis and beyond. Okay, so there's a certain amount of sort of education as well involved. Yeah, I think I'm usually on this podcast, I'm the cynical one. So I'm pretty happy with my space. But I think one of the big problems is everybody believes in the sustainability. Everybody loves it. And I completely get why. I get that that is what they have set out to do. It's what they really, truly believe in. It's what John and I believe in too. But, and there is a big but, that doesn't relate very well into sales messaging at all. The behavior gap and the behavior change gap, the science is bulletproof. And when I say bulletproof, it's about nine inches thick. That makes it very clear that actually by talking about those elements first, before showing credibility of quality, people immediately presume it's worse, more expensive and worse. But that's just not the case. You have to bring that person in for everybody listening to this podcast. It's a marketing podcast at the end of the day. You know how many touch points you need to have. You know what messages work for non-sustainable businesses. You know how simple that messaging has to fundamentally be to convert to a website visit, let alone a purchase. And if you lead with quality and you lead with that show of handmade free trade. I mean, even free trade's an odd one because it's not in itself an endorsement of quality, but handmade, well-researched, nice-tasting, well-fitting and comfortable, that is what sells. I was talking to this fantastic business owner who produces a type of clothing, and I have to say, can you talk about the fit and the comfort? Because she talked beautifully about what the values and the the designs and that side of things but fit and comfort are the first thing on the list for women's clothing so you've got to 
I think what I'm trying to say is that the science says you have to go where your audience is and tell them what they want to hear. You can do that in a sustainable way. It is not immoral to say my product is good and high quality. Then get them to your website and tell those stories. But if you lead with the stories, they'll get bored and wander off long before you've made a sale. So I think that's a really interesting point across the board for any ethical business is looking at it. That it's maybe something we haven't spoken about as much on here, and maybe we should have, is that whilst the ethical aspect is incredibly important, it's why you're here, it's why you're listening to this podcast, it can't be the only thing that will sell your business. Yeah, and I think what we've done is take, and if I can bang out about demographics for a bit here, the demographics say very clearly that to make sales of ethical products, pushing the sustainability and ethics of those products first and foremost, which a lot of these brands are doing because we can't go in and rebuild every single website. We need to be targeting women between 47 and 67. It's a very specific age group. And men aged somewhere between 38 and 50, because that demographic skews a little bit younger because of where they consume their media. But those people that are most interested are already following one of these accounts, maybe Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, maybe a small brand, a large brand, a medium brand, but they are probably following one of them. So what we've really done with the Shop Ethical Instead campaign this year is try to bring that all together and build on Sean's foundations and really increase the breadth and size of the campaigns we're building for each brand. So that cumulatively, each brand is hitting every single person in that audience or a large proportion of them, because that core audience, which is now over a million followers between all of our brands, the core audience is already engaged or already following one of these products that makes them incredibly highly likely to look at other products within that grouping. And as Sean said earlier, You don't just buy from one ethical brand. We have everything from underwear to kids' clothes to blankets and skincare and the brilliant bracelets produced by the lovely people in Cornwall, who I've already name-checked once, so I won't name-check twice. (laughs) But they are all doing wonderful things, but each individual audience is very small. By bringing them all together and letting them cross-sell, we should be able to create a campaign that reaches millions and millions of people because that audience already exists. Every single brand that's taking part is tapping into a total total viable audience of a million, but just around that number, I think it's slightly above there. But each one of them may only have a handful of followers on each platform. There are some absolutely tiny brands doing amazing things I talked to a blanket company today called Happy Blanket, and they're absolutely tiny, and they're really struggling to get the word out, but they are helping mothers in India and Bangladesh, and they are really helping to make a difference to people's lives. The more people we can tell, and the more access they have to audience, the better. And I think the other thing is that when we talk about demographics and we talk about those audiences, they expect high quality imagery. They expect high quality graphics. They expect to be sold to in a very specific way, because for the last hundred years, nearly all advertising has been aimed at them. So they do not when they're looking at advertising or 
or social graphics, they are discounting anything that doesn't live up to their standards as the largest spending demographic, especially women between 47 and 67, the most wealthy demographics if we're talking AB on the NRS social scale. We are literally talking about middle class, upper middle class with plenty of disposable income. Would you be right in saying that part of the point of this campaign is businesses helping businesses, utilising sort of their own social following to promote other people who are using, you know, it's like creating some kind of massive group. I think it's that collective community around the hashtag. So each brand will only be promoting themselves. You know, the content they will get will feature their own product. It will feature messages about why it's important to shop ethical instead. And then on our central platforms, we will put out things like gift guides where we'll round up several of the brands that are involved and say, you know, here's the best kids gift this year, the best, you know, gifts to garden lovers, things like that. And we have created some kind of more central videos and things. And we've got some audio clips which we can drop in from some of our brands saying, you know, the impact that it has when people do choose to shop ethical instead and when people place an order and things. It feels amazing when somebody places an order. Um, We are an incredibly small team and we really do celebrate every time an order comes in. Oh, it means so much. It really does because I know times are tough at the moment and, you know, for many people right now and I've worked hard to keep the costs low without compromising on the sustainable and ethical DNA of the brand. And it's so difficult to set up an ethical business. It really is. And it's it's taken a lot of work there's been a lot of ups and downs so when people buy Earth, it just it makes it all so worth it it's something that really brightens up my day no matter what's going on and I love the idea of um you know getting rushing back packing that order and getting getting it sent off oh gosh I still do a happy I did a happy dance the first order I got the first real customer that wasn't like my mum friends and family um, and it's still it's still as exciting as it was. I go into every order, see who it is, what they've ordered, where it's going, whether it's a repeat customer, somebody new. And I love it uh, just because it's a little bit of validation, I suppose, that it's not just me that thinks this stuff is important. Oh, that is an exciting feeling. Even now, uh, you know, after five years, it just I do a little jump in my head, uh, you know, <laughs> a little cartwheel in my head saying, yeah, I've got an order. Um, it, for a small business, it is amazing when people believe in you and some, when somebody's buying from you, um, they're placing their trust in you. That's amazing. Obviously, there's only so much we can put out on our own channels and without overwhelming our audience. So we're capped at a certain number of tweets per day, a certain number of stories per day and so on. But actually, by giving brands their own content to share and then bringing everything to that hashtag, that's how we can then create this kind of collective way of tapping into the audience. So I think really this is where the idea sprang from, obviously, because that's how Ethical Hour began and still is very much central around that Ethical Hour hashtag, which happens all year round and on our Monday night Twitter chat. In the last month, that hashtag across all social media has reached 1.1 million people and has an equivalent advertising value of $85,000 now. So to get that level of reach, that is what a brand would need to spend. Now, obviously, the Shop Ethical Instead hashtag is more seasonal. Some brands do use it all year round, but we only really push it and promote it 
during the campaign, which is the 1st of November to the 21st of December, which is the last postage date in the UK for Christmas gifts. So that's really when the campaign runs. But obviously at the moment, we're kind of pre-launch. We're recording this in October. So we're in pre-launch mode. We're starting to encourage people to use the hashtag. We're starting to talk about it. We're already at a reach of 283000 and equivalent advertising value of $24,000. So I think we kind of forget with all the marketing tactics that we talk about and, you know, ad spend and everything else and big PR strategies. I think sometimes it's really easy to forget that simple things like picking the right hashtag for your post can put you in front of the right audience and can have immense value in your campaigns. If I can build on that, actually, I think the other thing that I was going to mention earlier was we expect a lot from small business owners. Often their teams are less than 10, often they're one, two, three people. Christmas is their busiest time anyway. As Sean said earlier, a lot of these brands will make 80% of their money in the next two months. To do that, they have to compete with the likes of some of the largest brands in the world with the largest advertising budgets in the world. Now, Sean and I run a communications agency, and I would never step on Sean's toes when it comes to design and running our designers or on James's toes around actually producing those designs, because I'm just not qualified. I don't have that skill. But if you're a small business, you have to have that skill, be able to run your business, run your books, post out everything, and then also somehow magically find your customers. Adding in marketing to all of that at the busiest time of year is nearly impossible. Adding in marketing to a standard business without actual qualified people We've all seen how that goes in reality. It does not end well. Adding it into these businesses pushes them to breaking point. And I I think the hashtags we're using, I think Shop Ethical Instead, Ethical Hour, we are effectively harnessing them to try and give these small businesses the leg up they need so that they can at least get people's attention for that second to get them to interact with their brands. Because that's all it takes, one second. So. How do people get involved? Excellent question, Stuart. So from the 1st of November, if you go to shopethicalinstead.com, you will find a whole range of inspiring brand interviews and stories, beautiful gift guides full of products to make shopping really, really easy. So obviously our main call to action is that if you are buying gifts this Black Friday, if you are shopping and if you are planning your holiday gifting, then please do Shop Ethical Instead. For anyone listening that is working for a brand that wants to get involved and promote themselves, then please use the hashtag. We will also have a series of posts that can be downloaded and can be plugged into your schedulers and into your campaigns so that you can share some of the messaging that we've already created. If you are one of those brands that is really kind of pinched for time in this really crucial season, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for as many people to get involved, to spread that message and to raise awareness that these incredible businesses are out there and they're making a real difference and let's support them. Thank you for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you have, please hit that subscribe button and we'll be back soon. This podcast was edited by Stuart Mitchell. The music was by Joe McCafferty. We look forward to seeing you for the next podcast.